If you want to follow along in your Bibles, if you turn to Luke chapter 5, I will be reading the first 11 verses of Luke chapter 5. Here is God's Word. On one occasion, when the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the Word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep, let down your net for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Amen. You may be seated. Let us pray. Our God, as we turn to this wonderful passage of Scripture, we thank you, O God, indeed, that your word is here to encourage us and to strengthen us and to help us, Lord, and to tell us of your love and of your grace and of your forgiveness. And we pray, God, that you would illuminate this word this morning as I present it to your congregation. I pray, O God, that each of them would grow through it, Lord. I pray that Christ would be glorified and the gospel made plain and clear. For we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Those of you who were paying attention to the numbering of my sermons in Luke, you might think that we are regressing. I am preaching a previous sermon in Luke that you didn't hear uh, because I preached it in Tucson and not here. And I'm preaching it because I didn't have time to prepare a new sermon for today. Now I know what you're thinking. The guy who goes on vacation for a month forgot how to work. Well, yes, there was that, but there was also a thing that happened to us that some of you know that my sister and brother-in-law who we've been trying to find a facility to bring them into a memory care unit or we wanted to bring them into a memory care unit my brother-in-law was in the hospital they would not release him to his home we had to find that one opened up as soon as we got done with our vacation and uh, so we we drove to our home in, or we came to our home in Burnsville because we flew up there and then we immediately um, the next morning we got to stay 12 hours in our own house um, and then we immediately headed down to Rochester to begin to move my sister and brother-in-law and it was a longer process than we anticipated it took us three days to get everything done and taken care of so I didn't get to get back here till Friday evening Uh, so I just did not have time to prepare two new messages so I hope you'll forgive me but nonetheless I think you will gain something out of this passage of scripture this morning 
So let us look at verses 1 through 3 to begin. The story of the, this particular miraculous catch of fish is only found in the Gospel of Luke. And again, I remind you what I've reminded you before, that Luke is the Gospel writer who is not all that concerned about presenting events in their chronological order. He puts together stories as he sees them topically, as they relate to each other. And so sometimes the story is out of order from what you might read in Matthew or Mark because they have a different kind of order that they're going by. Now, where does this story fit in? We're not sure exactly. There is another account of a miraculous catch of fish that you may be aware of. It's found in the last chapter of the Gospel of John. And uh, many try to say that those two accounts are identical. That, and that story of John, uh, and John occurs at the very end, uh, after Jesus has already been resurrected, uh, it, that is there. So it doesn't seem like they can be the same, but some people do argue that those are uh, the same. Matthew and Mark also record a similar story but uh, about what happens here, but in Matthew and Mark, there's no mention of the miraculous catch of fish. There is the mention of Jesus getting into the boat and teaching the people, but they do not mention the miraculous catch of fish. Calvin says the account in Luke is the exact same account that we find in Matthew and Mark. It's just that Matthew and Mark don't record that catch of fish. G. Campbell Morgan believes they are clearly two different accounts. And to support that idea, we can notice that in Matthew and Mark, the disciples are spoken of as fishing when the Lord calls them. But in Luke's account, they are no longer fishing, but they are actually washing their nets um, I remember reading a book years ago that uh, the author said that it was very interesting that Simon, Peter, and Andrew were called when they were fishing because that seemed to be their ministry. Andrew was always bringing people to Christ. And of course, Peter's ministry, as we read in the book of Acts, was bringing people to Christ. James and John, particularly John, however, were those who taught the church and instructed the church and mended the church through the problems that they had. So it's kind of interesting that they were called uh, in that way. And uh, again, G. Campbell Morgan thinks it's important uh, to look at them, that they're different, because he thinks they were first called in Matthew and Mark, and they didn't leave their nets. So he says they were being sinful and not fulfilling their calling at that time. And he says this is why Peter speaks of being a sinful man in this account, is because he hasn't been fulfilling what he was told to do. But Calvin uses that same point to show it's the same account. He says, otherwise we make the apostles apostate. Well, I'm not going to tell you which one is right, but uh, you can choose whatever you like. But again, why don't they mention uh, Matthew and Mark? Why don't they mention this catch of fish? It seems a pretty important thing. Hendrickson says, taken as a unit, the story found here in Luke is peculiar to Luke. It has no parallel. Like I say, I tend to side with those who see them as two different accounts, but I'll leave that to you. One thing that comes out of this, which we often see in the Gospels, this might be one of the first times we see it in Luke, Peter will come out as the preeminent uh, apostle, which obviously he is. We see this in the Gospel as well as in the book of Acts. You might know that the Gospel of Mark, written by Mark, but its tradition says that Mark got all of his information from the apostle Peter. And that's why actually Peter does not present himself as this great thing, and I'm going to center all the stories around me. And so Mark doesn't uh, have all of those things. But Luke kind of brings it out a little more. 
And in all the list of the 12 apostles, every one of the gospels has a list of the 12 apostles. In every single list of the 12 apostles, who's mentioned first? Peter. Always Peter. So here Luke gives us the location as the Lake of Gennesaret. Uh, This is one of different names that we find in the scripture for this same body of water. Uh, The name we are probably most familiar with is the Sea of Galilee. Uh, It later will be called the Sea of Tiberias. uh, But Sea of Galilee is probably the the one we know most uh, of all of those. Uh, That occurs 13 times in Matthew, 16 times in Mark, but never in Luke. Luke never refers to it that way, although he does call it five times simply the lake when he refers to it. Later in time, like I said, it will be known as the Sea of Tiberias after Tiberius Caesar. We have the very encouraging statement, the crowd is pressing upon Christ to hear the word of God. And think about that. What an amazing, I mean, it's, it, you know, you're hearing the word of God from me this morning, um, but what an amazing thing to hear the word of God from God, right? That would, that would just have been an amazing thing to be receiving that word of God right from the lips of God. So in verse 2, again, they're out of their boats. They're mending their nets, as I mentioned earlier. Fishing is generally better at night than it is in the morning. So it's probably that they've come back from a long night. They're very, very tired from the night, especially as they haven't caught anything. They're discouraged in doing that. Uh, They're looking at their nets, hoping some fish are caught in it. This would, uh, again, be a tiring job. The nets were probably trammel nets. They're nets that had different layers in them, three layers, and that very complex so they all needed washing they had weights on the bottom and floats on the top and uh, there would be those layers one with a very fine mesh that would be the inside layer and one with larger ones so the fish could get in and then they get trapped and they couldn't get out aside again and so in verse 3 again, because Jesus is going to teach, he does what I told you I've been lobbying for, which is the speaker, the preacher sits and the audience stands. Uh, but I haven't gotten that through the session yet. But uh, nonetheless, uh, Jesus goes and he does that. The boat that he uses is Peter's boat. And then we look at verses 4 through 9. Jesus says to Peter, put out into the deep. And he, he says it, we don't always see this in the English, in the Greek it comes through, he says it in the singular, so he's just addressing Peter. So he's saying, Peter, basically, uh, I want you to cast out into the deep, but then he says, let down your net, that's in the plural. So Peter's supposed to do the casting out, but then he wants all of the fishermen to let down their nets. And Peter answers first, in verse 5, of course, which he always does, Master, we've toiled all night and taken nothing. Now, I'm sure that those of you that have particular occupations, whatever it is, even if it's uh, being a mother at home or whatever your occupation is, there's nothing you like better when somebody who has basically no knowledge of what you do instructs you on what you should do. Well, I'm sure that was, that was, that was great for the apostles when you're Jesus, not a fisherman, uh, is telling them what they ought to do. Um, you know, as a pastor, I love it, you know, when people said, you know, you don't really preach right. And, uh, you know, of course, we, none of us enjoy that. We don't. Uh, but um, James Edward says, we need not ask what goes to the mind of a professional fisherman in a foul mood when a non-fisherman orders him to do again in bad conditions what he'd already tried and failed to do in good conditions. It was already fruitless at night. That's the time that fish bite. And... Now he's being asked to do the same thing in the day. 
Why would they do that? But then the second part of Peter's reply is Peter's remembering who it is he's talking to. And so he says, at your word, I will let down the net. I don't know if he's saying that to put all the blame on Christ when they don't catch anything. <laughs> you, you know, because you said this. Everybody hear that? He said it, you know, that kind of thing. I, I'm not sure if, if that's what happened. But in verses 6 and 7, we have the miracle recorded after they did what Christ told them to do. They brought in such a catch of fish that the nets were actually breaking. This isn't just a, oh, we didn't get anything, now we got five fish. No, their nets are breaking. They're so full of fish at that time. And the boats probably belonged to, Andrew isn't mentioned, but it's probably Peter and Andrew's one partners in one boat. James and John is the partners in the other boat that are doing. And even when they try to divide it up between the boats, the boats are still beginning to sink in that time. Now, how did Jesus do this? You know, how did he perform this particular miracle? Did he supernaturally summon the fish from the sea and tell them, hey, all you guys come to this spot meeting, uh, you know, we want, we want you there? Or did he just um, omnisciently know where the fish were at that particular time? The scripture doesn't tell us, but in some way he arranged it. David Gooding says, Here was the Lord of fish and fishermen, the Lord of nature, the Lord of men, and of their daily work. I have, at times in my life, for many years, been an avid fisherman. And um, I have uh, known in doing this that every fisherman, if you're a fisherman here this morning, you know this, every fisherman has a fish story, right? We all have one. Now we can tell at, at the drop of a hat when somebody wants to hear. I, I mentioned that when I preached this sermon in Tucson, and nobody fishes there because there's no water. So <laughs> it's just like no, nobody really understands this, except people that lived elsewhere before they came to Tucson. Then, then they would understand it. So a couple guys said, hey, I, I have a fishing story. So everybody ha- has one. And, um, uh, you know, but this is the ultimate fishing story, right? One night I was at a Bible study in, in uh, Tucson uh, a, year, a year and a half ago or whenever it was, and the pastor was there at the Bible study that I was doing, and he was talking and, and he said, you know, he said, imagine you're like the, the first man to walk on the moon, you know, and you're, you're in, the, in the group and everybody's telling stories and they're telling what they think are these great stories, and then he goes, well, you know, I, I walked on the moon... <laughs> Well, who's going to trump that? Who's going to beat that story, right? That's, that, that, that trumps all other stories. Well, this, this uh, story here is the story that trumps all other stories as well. And uh, some think that Jesus did this to show to the disciples that if they followed him, he would provide a great catch of souls of people that were there. But the point is, he did this miracle. The response of Peter in verse 8 as he falls at the feet of Jesus and says, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. In other words, I should never have doubted your word. In verse 5, when he doubted the Lord's advice, he called Jesus Master when he responds to Jesus' command. That's the Greek word epistopheus, which is only found in the Gospel of Luke. It's not a common word at all. But now... In fact, I should say, Thayer says that word that is used here, or used when Peter first spoke to Christ, means any sort of superintendent or overseer. But now when he falls at the feet of Jesus, he says, Depart from me, Lord. 
The Greek word kyrios, the word that is used over and over and over again, maybe over 700 times in the New Testament, and always refers to either God the Father or Jesus Christ as Lord. In the Greek, it is used to translate the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is, of course, the sacred and holy name of God. Up to this point, Luke has used the word 30 times, this word kyrios, all referring to the Lord God. And now it is used of Christ, because Peter is recognizing who he is talking to. This is a good progression. He knew him as his overseer, but now he's come to know Christ as Lord. If you shall confess Jesus Christ as Lord, that's what we need to do. And then a plumber says in the commentary in 1922, it is the master whose orders must be obeyed, the Lord whose holiness causes moral agony to the sinner. Peter says, I am a sinful man, which is a statement over and over again made in the Bible when people recognize they are in the presence of a holy God. Remember Isaiah in Isaiah 6 when he sees the vision of God and he says himself being in in the midst of a sinful people and sinful lips and he also himself. That's what happens when in the presence of God. In verse 10, we see that James and John were also there. He mentioned earlier, probably Andrew as well. And I'll talk more about what Jesus says to Peter in application. But I want you uh, to note an interesting word that Jesus uses here. He says... You shall catch men. The word catch in Greek here means to capture alive. The idea is of someone who rescues someone else from danger. That's what we're called to do. James says it in chapter 5, 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Whoever brings him back, we are bringing back those who have sinned. John says in 1 John 5, 16, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. So we see that this is what the disciples are being called to do. They're going to capture men alive, taking them out of death in a sense, and capturing them. The only other place this word is found in the New Testament, the word Jesus uses here, is 2 Timothy 2.26. They may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. And again, this would relate to the capture of human beings. Just as they had brought a multitude of fish, they would bring a multitude of people into the kingdom of God. And that Peter's first expedition in fishing for souls would also have a great effect as we read that on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were brought into the church on that day. So the natural miracle of the miraculous catch is then copied in the spiritual on the day of Pentecost. Later on, in uh, the next chapter, chapter 4, 3 or 4, i got to remember, but uh, it says the number, after Peter preaches the second sermon, the number of the disciples came to be about 5,000. So that's quite a harvest. Verse 11 says, When they brought their boats back to land, they left everything and followed him. 
John MacArthur says at the pinnacle of their earthly careers, having just made the greatest catch of fish ever seen on that lake, they abandoned their boats, turned their backs on their fishing business, left everything and followed Jesus. You have the greatest fish fishing expedition you've ever had, and that's it. You're done. Now, I know they go back later, and they shouldn't. But that's what they were doing. They were leaving their nets and doing that. I have uh, said something that a lot of you may not agree with me, and that's okay. You don't have to. I know a lot of Reformed people don't agree with me, and they get nervous when I say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. I have absolutely no problem with the song, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. Now, I know it's not really, people think, a reform song. It may put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. I know that. <laughs> but it is true that we follow Jesus. It is true. We make, it, we make that decision. I know God does the work in this. I know God institutes it all. I understand that. But the Bible speaks of people doing this, making this decision that they're going to follow Christ. It's all right. It doesn't threaten our Reformed theology at all, I don't think. I think it's fine. And it's true of the apostles in this story. And Luke is writing this gospel in hopes that some that will read this gospel will decide to follow Jesus. That's, that's what they want. That's what he's looking at doing at that time. So what is it that pre- precipitated this? It's verse 1 says, The crowd was there to hear the word of God. That's why they gathered. It is the word of God that, that works faith in people. That's what works faith. The word of God being presented. That's why in this church we try to bring forth the word of God in the sermons. I've been to, I've been to sermons. I'm sure some of you have as well. Where there's like no word. It's like, it, this was a sermon? I, I, I don't know. I think it sounds like something I heard on PBS last night. But, you know, but here we want to preach God's word. We want to exposit the word of God. We want to take the scriptures and teach you from those scriptures because that is what brings people in. And when we read from the Bible, we try to make it clear this, what we're reading here, is the very word of God. I am giving to you an exposition of God's word, but this alone is the word of God. And we want to make that clarification as well. But when Christ was speaking, of course, it was the very, very word of God. And they were greatly blessed, those that were on the seashore that day, to hear that word. But they were also greatly obligated because of what they heard. Because what they heard obligates them. Jesus said in Matthew 11, 23 and 24, And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and for you. We're under an obligation. When you hear God's word, if you're a believer this morning or if you're a non-believer, you hear the word of God this morning, you're under an obligation. And we need to remember that. So let's apply this. We too, all of us are called to be fishers of men. I can tell you from personal experience as a fisherman, you never, ever know what you're going to catch. I've been in a boat like Peter and James and John when I have toiled all day and caught nothing. I don't know if I'd call it toiling. I guess that's probably overemphasis. It's not toiling in the boat. But I have been there where I've never caught anything. I remember one night I was fishing on the banks of the Mississippi River in uh, uh, La Crosse, Wisconsin. And uh, I, would, I think I caught 13 species of fish that one night. Uh, I didn't keep them all. 
uh, because some of them didn't look like good eating. But nonetheless, uh, I caught them. But there was a time, my fishing story, I said everybody's got a fishing story. My, uh, we were up at uh, the north, by the, not the boundary waters, but the lakes that are the boundary to the boundary water. And we were on a lake there, my son-in-law and my best friend, uh, who's now passed, but we were there in the boat, and we got to this spot, and we just started catching fish after, as soon as you put your bait in the water, and they were smallmouth bass, those of you that know a little bit of fishing know these are fighting fish, and we were just pulling them, I mean, struggling with these fish, fighting them, getting them in the boat, they were all good size, we'd throw them back in, go again, we caught fish for hours, just one after the other, that was just an amazing time, I've told that fishing story many times to people, and we'd all like fishing to be like that and we fish for souls we'd all wish it could be like that that every time we shared the word of god oh there was 500 people that were saved wasn't that great but there's something in the text today that i think we miss at times we can believe i think that god could have ordained all those fish to be there at that exact moment when peter and his companions dropped the nets we know that's true the fish were there because god ordained them to be there that's why they were there But on the other hand, we have to think of the flip side, that when they were fishing at that spot all night, God also ordained the fish not to be there. You see, it's just the other side of the coin. Sometimes we're sharing the gospel at a time when somebody is just ready to take the bait. I thank God for those times. But other people have probably laid their bait before that person before you several times. And they haven't been open to do that. Sometimes I have mentioned before, I've been on the street all night, handing tracts, talking to people, never even got a nibble. And as a preacher, I preach week after week, times, months, years, and never heard of a soul that was converted during the sermon and doing that. And then I would think of growing up. Some of you can probably relate to this. Some of you can remember back when. Do you remember when Billy Graham used to be on television? And you would watch Billy Graham at night, and he'd get to the end of his sermon, and then they start that song, you know, just as I am without one plea. And all of a sudden you look, and from the stands, people are just streaming down. I know we don't believe in altar calls, basically, in Reformed churches, but you'd see all of these people just by the hundreds coming down after that or while that song was was being sung and I think about those crusades and I'd say boy just once in my life I'd like to cast my bait out or my net out and my nets begin to break that would be so great I'm not alone in this let me quote from you from the Puritan Thomas Boston he says but yet seeing I am called to preach this everlasting gospel it's my duty to endeavor and my desire to be, Lord, you know, a fisher of men. But alas, I may come in with my complaints to my Lord that I have toiled in some measure but caught nothing. For anything I know as to the conversion of any one soul, I fear I may say I have almost spent my strength in vain and my labor for naught, for Israel is not gathered. O oh, my soul, what may be the cause of this? Why does my preaching do so little good? No doubt part of the blame lies on myself. And a great part of it too. But who can give help in this case but the Lord himself? And how can I expect it from him but by prayer and faith and in the promises? 
And by consulting his word, where I may by his spirit shining on my heart, shine, O son of righteousness, learn how to carry and what to do to the end the gospel preached by me may not be unsuccessful. That's a Puritan. Some of the greatest preachers that ever preached. And he felt the way, the same way that I feel. But let me note Peter's plea of penitence. What did Peter do in this story? All he really did was question whether Jesus really knew more about fishing than than he knew. But he did follow, did do what Jesus told him to do. He didn't say, no, I'm not going to do it. But his statement to Christ is one of deep repentance. Why is he so deeply repentant? What is it in the story that, that causes this? I think maybe, you know, you or I might have been there and said, well, you win that one, Jesus, you know. Or, I guess you were right, I was wrong, (laughs) bad me, you know, something like that. But Peter goes and says, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Because we learn not having faith in God's word is a great and terrible sin. We have heard and we know God's word, but still we doubt. But there comes a time in one's life when the sin one commits all of a sudden comes home to us and we recognize who we are. And we say those same words to Christ. To the righteous man, Job, of whom God said there's not another like him in the entire earth, Job says at the end of the book, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye see you, sees you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Isaiah was a great prophet of God, called by God. He proclaimed God's word to the people. But one day Isaiah saw a vision, saw a vision of God. He saw the throne room of God. He saw heavenly beings. And he said, woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Like Job and Isaiah, in those scriptures, Peter that day had come face to face with the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And in light of that, he saw who he was, and it smote him deeply. And he confesses that he's a sinful man. His confession is good. But there is something wrong in what he says. He's right when he says, I am a sinful man. Where where he's horribly wrong is when he says, depart from me. Because that's the last thing you want to happen. You don't want the Lord to leave. Because once we recognize sin and all of its deep and terrible things, the thing we don't want is Christ to depart. In a previous sermon, I spoke to you about a prayer the Lord didn't didn't answer. I call it the worst prayer in the Bible. Others have different nominations. But the people that were there at the cross might remember I spoke of this. 
and said, if you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. And I say, no. No, you can't. If you're the Son of God, you've got to stay on that cross because I have no other hope. You must stay there. Here is there we see the great blessing of unanswered prayer. And Jesus answers with some of the most comforting words in all of Scripture that are given again and again. Translated differently in the different versions, but ours says, don't be afraid. Because sin always leads us above all to fear, doesn't it? Woe is me, says Isaiah. I am undone. And what follows is the Lord saying to Peter, I commission you to be a fisher of men. This is the beginning of the commissioning of Peter to do exactly that and to follow Christ. And I want you to keep that commission in your mind. Here he is on a lake of Galilee, and he's saying to Peter, I've called you to be a fisher of men. That's the commission. That we, commi- we, we did a little bit of that today with the elders and deacons, but this is the commissioning of Peter to be an apostle. That's what's going on here. Now keep that in mind. And I want you to fast forward your VCR, if you still have one of those. I want you to fast forward to something that will happen three years later. Now, this time, it isn't just that Peter doubted the words of Christ. This time, he's actually denied Christ. This is what he's done. And in John 21, Peter comes face to face with the Lord he denied. Now, we're probably all familiar with the Lord's questioning three times of Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me? In the threefold response of Peter... Uh, you, you know all things, Lord. You know that I love you. Some make a difference in the Greek words there. Others say the difference isn't that great. And, but nonetheless, we have that threefold going on. And of course, Jesus gives different commissions in that. Feed my lamb, feed my sheep, that kind of thing. Tend my sheep, he tells them to do. And I'm not going to go into all of that. But it is interesting of note that as Peter denied the Lord three times, the Lord had Peter affirm him three times and affirm his love towards him. But there is something in that story that I think is often missed. Again, in Matthew 4.19, Matthew records the words to Peter and Andrew where he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Again, an initial commissioning. But now in John 21, Jesus says two times to Peter, follow me. Now maybe you think, well, there's not much in that, Pastor. It's two little words. It's a big deal. What do, you, what do you see out of that? I see a marvelous thing. In the beginning, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, follow me. Now it's three years later. Peter is at a terrible fall. We might even call it a fall from grace. Who knows what we'd call it? But he says to Peter, Peter, I know these words are implied. They're not there. You failed in a terrible way. You've sinned deeply in your denial of me. But don't be discouraged. Don't think it's all over, Peter, because my commission to you is the exact same. You're still to follow me. Because you see, all of us are like Peter. We've been called by the Lord, and then we sin. And some of us, probably all of us, have sinned greatly in a great manner and we're tempted to think it's over 
It's done. I've committed an unpardonable sin. There's nothing that can happen. Nothing that could be done. And we think I can never again have the blessedness I used to have when I was first brought to Christ and how I was on fire. I'll never see that again. I think someone who captured a little of this is the great hymn writer, William Cooper, whom we have several hymns in our hymn book by him, but we don't have this one. But it's a good one. It says, Where is the blessedness I knew when I first saw the Lord? Where is the soul-refreshing view of Jesus and his word? What peaceful hours I once enjoyed, how sweet their memories still. But they have left an aching void this world can never fill. Return, O holy dove, return. Sweet the messenger of rest. I hate the sins that made thee mourn and drove thee from my breast. We feel that. We think things can never be the same. But the story of Peter tells us, yes, they can. There is a God who restores us, who loves us, and says to us, my commission hasn't changed. The gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. He knows we've failed. He knows we haven't lived up to it. He knows we haven't done what we should. But he still says, your sin hasn't ruined it. Your sin hasn't ruined it. Do what I commissioned you to do at the beginning. Follow me. Do what I've commanded you to do. You're still my child. I still love you. And I haven't changed in what I called. Let's pray. Our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are so grateful for this wonderful story and how, Lord, it, it helps us because we are like Peter going to our Lord and saying, depart from me. Well, we don't want to say depart from me, but we are like that in saying it. Depart from me, I'm a sinful man, I'm a sinful woman. Lord, I've done terrible things. But Lord, you don't depart. You said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. My word will not return void. My gifts and my calling are not repented of. Lord, maybe there's some here today that have never initially came to you and received that first commissioning and they don't know you and they're not trusting in you. God, make that word in their hearts a fire that will lead them to come to you. And there are others perhaps that are here who are struggling right now in their life because of some sin that's weighing them down, something that bothers them deeply. And they're wondering if there's any hope, if there's ever a hope of returning to that blessedness that they knew when they first came to the Lord. Lord, help them to see, yes, they can. Give them that peace and that calling in their life. To know, God, you are the God of forgiveness, the God of forgetfulness when it comes to our sins. And Lord, we thank you for it. I pray you bless this word that I've given to this people. For asking in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.